Welcome to Vegan Business Talk with Katrina Fox, author of Vegan Ventures, Start and Grow an Ethical Business. Hello and welcome to episode 73 of Vegan Business Talk. I'm Katrina Fox, journalist, author, media and PR coach, copywriter, editor and proofreader and founder of Vegan Business Media, a content events and training platform providing success tips for vegan business owners and entrepreneurs. In this episode, I interview Maureen Mahon, an award-winning interior designer in Los Angeles. Maureen is a designer on HGTV's House Hunters renovation and was named one of Angelino Modern Luxury Magazine's Dynamic Women of Los Angeles. She began her foray into home renovation when she bought a dilapidated duplex near Los Angeles' trendy Melrose Avenue and did much of the remodeling work herself. She later sold the house for nearly four times what she paid and invested in an oceanfront property in Rosarito, Mexico. She and her brother purchased all the furniture and accessories for the 3,000-square-foot luxury condo from Thailand and the home was featured in Distinctive Homes magazine. After being commissioned to decorate several turnkey oceanfront vacation properties in Baja, Maureen decided to make interior design her new career and attended the Architectural Interior Design Programme at Santa Monica College. Maureen worked almost exclusively in residential projects in LA until being hired to design offices for a tech startup. This experience completely changed her career path, resulting in her working with visionary entrepreneurs to create green, sustainable, ethically sourced and cruelty-free work environments. She's the first PETA-approved vegan designer and has incorporated vegan design into her company's code of ethics. In this interview, Maureen talks about what made her become a vegan interior designer and how it's impacted her business. Why interior design is important for a business. Key things to consider when planning the interior design of a commercial premises and how they differ from residential spaces. Latest trends in commercial interior design. The best type of lighting for commercial spaces and much more. Here's the interview with Maureen Mahone of Maureen Mahone Interiors. Hello, Maureen. Welcome to the show. So happy to have you on today. Thank you, Katrina. It's great to be here. So I'm looking forward to hearing about your business because you're actually the first uh, vegan interior designer that I've got on the show. So it's a nice first for me today. So I'm really looking forward to to digging into what you do and getting some tips around um, interior design. So tell us a bit about, I always kick off with the why. So why do you run, why do you do what you do and why do you run your ethical interior design business? Well, I always loved decorating and designing my spaces, and um, I, I always feel that if I'm in a beautiful environment, that everything's okay in the world. <laughs> but um, honestly, everything's not okay in the world. So, um, you know, people are suffering, animals are suffering, the planet is suffering. So I thought, you know, how can I stand out? This is a competitive uh, business, and how can I stand out? And feel like I'm doing something important in the world. So I thought, well, why not make that my mission, you know, to not only create beautiful environments um, that make people happy, but do it in a way that makes the planet happy. And so that's kind of how I, I 
worked into this uh, direction. So that's fantastic. That's great. I love that, like you said, you're able to, as a service provider particularly, uh, you know, to bring those those ethics into your work. That's that's great. Now, you're the face and name of your brand. Um, so tell us a little bit about your choice to go in that direction, because I always kind of find it interesting about how people choose to name their businesses, whether they name them after themselves or in other ways. So just tell us a little bit about uh, why you went that way. Well, I never really thought about how I was going to name my business. I just said, okay, I'm starting my business as Maureen Manateria. So, um, but bringing the, the vegan thing in, I guess I was working on a, um, on a documentary about animals and I started meeting more animal activists and going to marches and things like that. And as I learned more from those people, especially about the egg industry, I was, just so you know, vegetarian in quotes, because I also had, uh, would occasionally eat fish. Um, and I did that since I was probably nine years old, off and on. Uh, and then like 29 years straight where I was pretty, you know, I didn't go off of that. I was vegetarian who occasionally ate fish. But as I started meeting more vegetarian, vegans, and animal activists and learned about the egg industry and the uh, milk industry and the leather and wool and all the things that you think, well, you know, you're not killing them, right? Yeah. (laughs) So it should be okay. Well, as I learned more about it, I thought, you know what, I can't be a part of that. And if I'm going to be sticking up for some animals, I've got to stick up for all of them. And it wasn't just in my own personal living and eating habits. It had to be across the board with my business as well. So I just couldn't see any way around doing that, you know. So I, it, wasn't, it wasn't like, hey, here's a great gimmick. It was just something I could no longer do in good conscience. Got it. Got it. Thanks for sharing that. Let's talk a little bit about uh, interior design and particularly because I know you work in the commercial space. So, you know what? I forgot. I wanted to tell you another story about how how I I became vegan designer. Do you mind? if Oh, yeah. Yeah. Go for it. No, I'd love to. Go for it. Yeah. I have this client who's a guy. He's a man. He's single, but I work. I know his girlfriend very well. And I was working on his living room and we started out with a cowhide rug, right? And then, you know, super masculine, we got an aviator chair, you know, that's uh, like distressed leather, right? And then his girlfriend went out and bought these pony pillows. And then we recovered his dining room chairs in velvet, but the head chairs we did on the back in this patent leather, right? And then we were going to redo his sectional. We were going to do a new, you know, sectional and get rid of his leather couch and she says what about a leather sectional and I I just said can we stop the carnage (laughs) so I said you know what I'm not I'm not getting any more leather so I didn't for him and I continued to work with him and his girlfriend for years after that but that was uh, the, the last time I bought any leather for a client wow oh I love that I'm really glad that you shared that so what reaction did you get when you said that well, I said it jokingly. I'm, I'm, I'm not a real serious person. I'll joke with people. And she <laughs> laughed about it and she agreed. Okay. Yeah. That probably is a lot of leather in here. Let, you know, so we ended up getting le- uh, um, linen, a linen sectional, but she understood from then on that I wasn't going to do any more uh, animal products with them. And that included down comforters or anything. So, 
um, they were fine with it. <laughs> that's great. Because that's actually going to be one of my, my questions I was going to ask you a little later, but I might as well segue into it now. And then how are you then perceived in the industry as a vegan running an interior design business? And I'm just wondering if that's presented any particular challenges in regards to your business. So maybe you've missed out on being you know, awarded certain projects or you've had to turn projects down for ethical reasons. I have. Uh I don't know. Just so you know, I don't know. The economy has been a little bit tricky anyway, so and business has slowed down, and I don't know whether it's because I've come out as a vegan designer or if it's just the the economy is as it is. Um, so I don't know the answer to that, but I have turned down. There was one company that uh, contacted me, and it would have been a big it would have been a big job, but they were a medical device company or medical some sort of medical. So I asked them, you know, to tell me more about what they do. And they do, they did, turns out they did animal research. Aww. So I, <clears throat> I turned down the job. Got it. Got it. Well, how many, um, like in terms of your clients, like then how, what's the sort of rough approximate percentage of clients would you say are vegan and they're attracted to you because you're a vegan designer as opposed to not? <laughs> like zero percent. <laughs> Oh, really? <laughs> oh, we're going to have to change that. We're going to have to get some vegan business owners hiring you. If you're listening, guys, and you need an interior designer, you've got to hire Maureen. <laughs> Thank you. Yes, I, th- I find that the, the clients I have now are hiring me in spite of it, but not because of it. Got it, got it. Because you also work in the green space, like the more kind of generic green sustain- sustainable design space. Correct. Yeah. Right. Right. Got it. Well, I love how you've managed to weave. I noticed on your website you've you've managed to kind of weave the vegan values in from an even from like an environmental um, perspective. So to say to people, look, if you're going to really be green, you know, you've got to have the materials that are non-animal based as well. Exactly. I mean, um, the the um, I wasn't. Uh, see, this is what happens when I uh, don't talk to people all day. Um, <laughs> Um, greenhouse emissions uh, are come mostly from agriculture. That's, that's what I'm trying to think of. Agriculture is responsible for more greenhouse effects than any of the all forms of transportation combined. So when you think of leather, um, you you can't really be a green company if you're using leather or animal products in your designs. Got it, got it. And you're finding people are being a bit more open to that now, like we've seen in the last couple of years, you know, that veganism's kind of become trendy. So are, are you seeing people being a little bit more open to that? Absolutely. I find that, you know, when they don't necessarily come to me because of that, but when I tell them that, they're they're like, oh, okay. You know, that that's it. They don't make a big deal out of it. I haven't, I don't lead with that. Sure. Although I, yeah, you know, I do know what, there was one other uh, designer who's actually, I was the first, uh, PETA approved, uh, vegan designer, but this woman is the second <laughs> and the only other one. <laughs> so I contacted her and, you know, just asked if, you know, this goes to one of your, your later questions about partnering with other designers. Um, I did contact her and we did, you know, talk about partnering, whereas she's on the East Coast and I'm on the West Coast, that, you know, if she has a client who is on the West Coast, I could kind of be her boots on the ground here and vice versa. Got it. Um, Got it. She, 
definitely leads with the vegan design. And I realized that, you know, she really embraces it. And it made me realize that you can embrace it. I, I should embrace it more and lead with it more. But I haven't been. I've been kind of like as an aside. <laughs> yeah, yeah, cool. I guess it can be an extra bonus. Like, it's like okay, you're going to be really green, and and you also get to you know say that you're you know operating from a cruelty free perspective. So I guess maybe it's an extra bonus. It's quite quite interesting the way that you know it's veganism's really come to the fore and and become so popular. And I'm, I am noticing like some vegan business owners, such as yourself, sort of starting to become go. Okay, maybe I don't have to you know hide it quite as much, or, or you know make a, instead can make a bit of a feature of it. So in terms of then, let's talk a little bit about design itself and particularly for commercial interiors. So for vegan businesses that require physical premises, why is design so important? Well, you know, I I wasn't quite sure how to answer that, Um, you know, because the vegan business could be a restaurant, a vegan restaurant, or it could be... um, you know, skincare or something like that. So it would depend on what type of commercial uh, business it is. But I, I find with any business that branding is really important and company culture. Uh, and I guess if vegan is part of their brand identity, it should be reflected in the design in some way. Okay. And Does that answer the how, question? How might that, that, I guess it's kind of, yeah, that's that sort of the importance. So I guess because if people, like as a customer, you're going into a physical space, it makes a difference, like, for example, if people are going to buy or if they're going to stay in your premises. So I'm, I'm, I'm guessing if you just talk a little about the importance of why it's important rather than just go in there and do a quick renovation and not really think about it, but to actually, you know, perhaps hire someone like yourself to, to really kind of, yeah, design the space in a way that's optimal for the business. For me, mostly I'm, I'm dealing with um, the tech industry and entertainment, so they're not vegan companies. Right. You know, they, I, I'm just a vegan designer, so I'll, you know, they'll agree to not having leather chairs and things like that. But I haven't had a client that's a vegan company um, where I'm designing to showcase that as their brand identity. Got it. What about if they're not? Because some, like some vegan businesses, don't necessarily service the the vegan market. So it's probably more a question of why is design so important for a business? Well, design, you you have branding. You know what I I generally do when I uh, meet a new company is I go through their website and I look at what their logo looks like and what their company culture is and what kind of people they are and how they want to represent themselves to the world. Um, and I will design around that, around who they are. Um, sometimes color can, you know, if they're a fun, young company, you want that kind of, uh, environment. Um, I, I did a tech company. Generally, you would think that tech startups are young, um, you know, young people, but I did a, a tech company that were all, um, they were all like old school coders, you know, <laughs> and they didn't really have a lot of people in their offices. It was just the office space was for them, but they had occasional meetings. But, yeah, they were all in their 40s and over and they hated color, which is really unusual for a tech company. So, I mean, I could barely get away with blues, you know, really? like blue. Wow. And I, yeah. <laughs> so <it> really, <laughs> yeah, and it had to be like so light that it was practically white. So um, it just depends, 
there is a there's generally a personality. A, every company has its own personality, and it's just a matter of getting to know their personality and creating a space that reflects that. Got it. Now that makes good sense. Yeah, excellent. Thank you. So what would you say um, are some of the mistakes that businesses make when it comes to interior design? Like if they're left to their own devices, so they haven't, you know, employed someone professional like you, they've just kind of, you know, gone at it on your own. <laughs> what would you say some well, of the, the kind of kind of eek erm <laughs> moments are? Well, one big mistake is having the boss's wife do it. <laughs> <laughs> Believe me, I've had that. Um, shared uh, workspaces, I find that um, they don't take acoustics into account, um, especially with you know the tech industry again. Um, they like the cool-looking spaces where they're big and they've got cement floors and a lot of glass and they have the open ceiling with the ducts and showing and all that stuff, but the, the, the sound bounces all over the place. And especially if you're in a shared workspace, you don't really have offices. There's no place to go. Um, there are introverts and extroverts. I'm an introvert, so I know how challenging it is it would be to work in an environment like that where you can't even have a phone call. You've got so many people talking. Um, so that that's a big mistake that I think a lot of people are noticing now. When I go in to meet with new clients, they're like, oh, my God, the acoustics. We got, uh, we, you know, we thought this place looked really cool, but it's just not working for us. Right. I'm so glad you mentioned that because I was thinking when you think about design and even I was in my mind, I was thinking and focusing very much on what it looks like. So I'm really glad that you've brought that up. That's really, really important that, you've, yeah, you've got to better hear one another and that the acoustics, that's, that's really cool. Yeah, you have to really think about functionality as well and, you know, uh, an environment that's uh, nurturing to different types of people. Right, right, for sure. Now, you touched on color. So what are some of the kind of do's and don'ts? Like, are there some colors that you you just should never put together, for example, in a in a space? No, I don't think there are any colors you shouldn't put together. I mean, I'm not a big fan of complementary color schemes where it's, you know, the opposite, like orange and blue. But that, I mean, that Actually, that was a terrible example because a lot of people use that. <laughs> it's great for branding. <laughs> but, you know, for decoration, for my personal taste, I'm not a big fan of that. I like um, metallics. I like to juxtapose, juxtapose elements like wood and metal, fire and water, um, you know, stone and plants and things like that. Um, I love metallics. I tend to do a lot of metallic ceilings. Um, those are things that do work for me. As far as things that don't, um, I think it's pretty wide open. Cool. <laughs> you know, it just depends on how you do things, you know. You can make anything work. Exactly. I'm glad you said that because this is not exactly interior design, but I know like in fashion, for example, if you say, oh, you should never wear gold and silver together. Well, I love gold and silver and I'm like, I don't care. I'm going to wear them together. And I suppose with fashion, as long as you kind of do it with confidence, you can get away with it. But I suppose it's the same sort of thing with the interior design. Like if you just do it with the right intention, um, then it can work. So um, I'm glad. Yeah, you said that. it's how you curate, you know, anything that's, um, say, um, eclectic. Um, things that you wouldn't necessarily put together. There is a right way to do it, you know, there, you, but you kind of have to 
dance the line. You can't just throw it all together and think, well, that's eclectic. It works. It's just like the silver and gold thing. There's a certain <laughs> way to make it work, you know? Yeah, yeah. Got it, got it. Now, we touched on the acoustics. So what are some other things that business owners need to take into account when they're designing and fitting out a space? Um, lighting is really important. Um, when people are in a space all day long, it's, um, you know, fluorescent lighting they've found is just really unhealthy and um, puts you in a bad mood. And, you know, so you, you need to have a nice mix of natural lighting if you can. Um, LED lighting they're finding is, is a lot more, uh, is a lot closer to natural light. Um, what about in sort of maximizing space? Cause I know I've certainly, and I'm, I'm obviously not a designer, but I know even I've been in certain spaces and you can just tell that the business owner hasn't maximized the space to its best potential. So I don't know if that's something you could maybe talk a little bit about. Well, I think um, it's really important to walk through the space and work with what you have. I think a lot of people might go into a situation wanting it to do a certain thing that just doesn't work with that space. So you kind of have to work, you know, look at what you have and, you know, keep, you know, for budget reasons, keep what you can, uh, replace what you have to. Um, think about, you know, how people, how the, Space is going to function for private, uh, private spaces where people can get together to, uh, socialize and eat and things like that. Um, if you can have outdoor spaces, that's really, really nice. Um, some, some tech spaces will have, uh, game rooms where they can play video games and things like that and just let off a little steam. Um, all that helps with the company culture. It depends on what type of people you have. But if, you know, there's, there's a big trend towards creating environments where it's more like a college campus in a way. Right. Um, right. Yeah, where there's a big a diversity of, uh, ways that you can, uh, work and play and, uh, relate to each other. Right, right. Got it. And that makes sense. I mean, I know certainly, you know, when I've done like gone into places and done, um, you know, like some editing or proofreading and it really makes a difference, but like on your productivity or on your mood, like, you know, if you're in a place that's fun and warm and vibrant, that's really different to like I've been in corporate places that were just soulless, like not just like the physical deck or the whole thing just felt really just heavy. And, you know, at the end of the day, you leave with a headache. So um, <laughs> I like that you've shared this. It's, it's actually really important because I know sometimes like you say when people are on a budget you know there's a temptation to just kind of get in there and put a lick of paint up and, and do the bare minimum but it's important like you say to take into account um, yeah how people are going to experience the space I guess not only the people who might come in such as visitors but also the staff working there as well so I'm, I'm glad you've you've, um, you've brought that up are there any things that work well say in residential properties but might not work as well for commercial properties well, um, with uh, commercial properties, you have to be a lot more mindful of uh, fabrics and flooring and things that are durable. Obviously, there's a lot more people using it, um, whereas residential, you want softer fabrics. You want it to be comfortable and homey. Um, in a commercial application, uh, those types of fabrics and um, materials uh, would not be as durable. So you have to really keep that in mind in doing commercial spaces. 
Right, that's a good point. So you don't just watch those home reno shows and think, yay, let's put that in our commercial space. <laughs> right. <laughs> Got it. Got it. So what, what are the latest trends right now at the moment in interior design for commercial properties? I know you've touched on this a little bit about the, the spacing, but are there any particular trends you're seeing happening right now? Well, bright colors continue to be a big thing in commercial spaces. Um, Eco-friendly environmental design is big, although vegan hasn't quite caught on yet. Um, open workspaces, if we, as we've said, and LED lighting are, are big things right now. There are companies that can change out all of your, all of your fluorescent lighting for LED, and uh, they have, they've worked it out with the, um, I don't know if they're doing this in Australia, but here, with the uh, electric company that they um, they're subsidized, so that it costs yes. companies nothing to switch over to LED lighting. Right. Yeah, I think there is something similar. There's a scheme like I think like that here too. That's fantastic. Great. Yeah. So, so for people who have got a budget and they want to hire an interior designer, what should they look out for when choosing an interior designer to work with? Well, it's good to get a referral from a friend who's worked with a designer before. If you've never used a designer, it's you don't really know what to look for. Um, I think if you can get a referral from a friend, everybody's on their best behavior. <laughs> you know, when I when I a good friend of mine refers somebody to me, I'm going to take very good care of that client because that friendship is valuable to me, and the other way around. Um, but also uh, make sure that you find somebody who really actually specializes in what you want. Um, say, you know, you say this person specializes in mid-century modern, you know, home design, residential design, and you want to do a commercial design, but you want it super like opulent, um, sexy, you know, and they might take the job because they need the work. But if it's not their thing, they're not going to do as good a job. So kind of look at their pictures and make sure that what you're looking for is in their wheelhouse. Got it. Got it. And what are the benefits of working with an interior designer such as yourself? Uh, well, designers have, you know, we've spent a lot of years vetting contractors and suppliers and streamlining the process. Whereas you, if you tried to do it on your own, you might have a lot of contractors flake on you. Uh, they can steal your money and never show up again. Um, I've gone through that with, uh, with contractors myself. And so over the years, I've found my team and I've found things that have worked and that haven't worked through trial and error. And, you know, when you're a homeowner or a business owner, you don't have the luxury to uh, make those kinds of mistakes when you need something done. This is, you're buying a house and you want to live in it. You can't. Uh, take a chance of um, hiring people who are going to rip you off or not do a good job. Fantastic. So you mentioned you have a team there. So basically, is it right that you kind of work with people uh, from the beginning? So you work out the design and then you help them to implement the design by bringing on the contractors. Like, do you manage the whole thing? I'm just kind of curious as to your role as an interior designer. Yes, I do. I we can't call it project management. I do we call it project administration. Um, yeah, so I meet with them. I come up with an overall plan. Um, I get to know them really well and try to understand what the personality is of their company. 
and then I'll put together sort of a presentation uh, of a mood board kind of thing and see if I'm on the right track, and I'll send them pictures of things and say, hey, do you like this or this? And I narrow it down. And once I figure out what they want mood-wise and style-wise, then I bring my contractor in, and he'll, he'll tell them, well, you know, this is what it's going to cost, and we can put together a formal proposal. Um, I've got contractors I love to work with. I've been stuck with my clients' contractors before where it's been a real problem. So over the years, I've just found my team, the people who I've had great experiences with who have my back and who I know are you know, going to do a good job for a good price and that they're fair. Got it. Got it. For sure. For sure. So let's talk a little bit about your business. We touched on this a little bit. So when you first started out with a business, can you talk about, a bit about, say, what some of the key challenges were when you first started out and how those have changed as you've grown as a business? Let me see. I'm sorry. I'm looking through my notes again. Uh Oh, okay. I'm sorry. Can you ask that again? (laughs) Yeah, yeah, sure. So when you were first starting out your business, Maureen, what were some of your key challenges when you first started the the design business? And maybe how have those challenges changed as you've grown? Well, when I started out, I I was actually in my 40s when I went back to school to go to uh, for interior design. so I, as soon as I was done with the classes I needed, I started, I hung my shingle and I started working, but I, they never taught us any business courses. <laughs> so I didn't know how to run a business. Um, you know, it, that was trial and error. Um, I ended up getting a bookkeeper and that helped a lot because she keeps me on top of things with my taxes and things, everything that I need to do and, and doing my invoices and making sure that I collect, from, you know, so that is kind of covered now. But that was definitely a challenge. Um, and I think, you know, back to contractors, finding my team was a big, a, a big challenge. And so that I just overcame with time uh, by finding my people and sticking with them. Got it. Fantastic. So that, I love that you said you've started that in your 40s. I think that's really good for people to hear because, um, you know, often people think, oh, you know, can I really start the business, you know, in my 40s and 50s? So I love that you've you've done that and made a success of it. So what were you doing before, Maureen? I was a legal secretary. Oh, OK. <laughs> wow. That's a big change, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, I was always a creative person, so that wasn't that easy for me, but it was actually really good because I was I was a legal secretary in law firms, but also in uh, production companies like studios. I worked at New Line Cinema and Samuel Goldwyn Company in their legal department. It taught me to really use both sides of my brain because I'm I'm a right brain creative person by nature, but I had to like click on the other side to learn how to be organized and, you know, to be a good legal secretary. So I'm able to sort of switch off, uh, you know, use both sides at the, at the same time, which is a good skill that a lot of creative people uh, 
are challenged with. Absolutely. That's so true. We see so many creatives who are brilliant at what they do on the creative side, but they don't have any of the, like you say, the business skills or even the marketing skills to kind of get it out there. So that's, that's great that you can use both. So what made you go with interior design? So you're a creative, you're a legal secretary. What drew you specifically to interior design? Actually, it wasn't something I'd even thought about. I, um, I bought a house. I bought a duplex when I was um, working at a law firm. I didn't have a lot of money. So, and, and the place was almost uninhabitable. That's <laughs> 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 all I could afford. So I, you know, I started at night. I would, you know, demo the kitchen. I put up drywall. I learned how to hang the, the cabinets and put in the tile. And I just learned how to do all this stuff. And when I went to sell it, a few years later, I got almost four times what I paid for it. And people were kind of flipping out. Yeah, so I I sold that, and then I bought two houses, and one of them uh, was in Mexico by the ocean, and I went to Thailand with my brother, and we bought all the furniture and furnished it, and then I sold it furnished. And that got written up in a magazine, a local magazine, and so I thought, you know, I'm I'm going to use, you know, I had enough money from that sale that I could go back to school without having to work, and so that's what I did. Fantastic. I love that. What a great story. I love hearing about how people came to do what they did. That's really cool. That's great. Fantastic. You obviously had a, a natural skill and you uh, went with it and it tapped into, like you say, your creativity and you've got those those logical left brain business skills as well. I love that. So we touched on this a little bit around about competition and I love how you said like when you heard about this other vegan designer, you know, you called her up and you collaborate and I think that that's beautiful. So in terms of standing out then, just even as, not necessarily even as a, a vegan uh, interior design business, but simply as a design business itself, how do you go about standing out from other similar businesses, you know, other interior design firms and attracting the right clients to you? Well, I, I redid my website and I made it very clear the types of clients I was looking for. I would say that um, I could probably use your help as far as marketing. <laughs> because, <laughs> you know, I haven't really focused enough on uh, marketing and trying to get my name out there, to be honest. Um, I know that when when you're being interviewed for something like this, you're supposed to be the person who has all the answers. And honestly, I just don't. You know, I'm I'm like everybody else. I'm finding my way through through my my world (laughs) and learning through trial and error on what works. So I, I I did make it very clear who I wanted to work with, which was, you know, visionary people, um, uh, you know, other vegans, people who want to help the planet. Those are the kind of people I want to be around. So that's what I put out there. But I don't know that I'm really um, finding how to attract them yet. Oh, well, I found you. And, you know, even though I'm not necessarily going to hire you straight away, but, you know, I know now, I know of you now, and I know that I can recommend you and stuff. But I, I actually do, I just want to pick up on what you said there because I, I think it's important to hear. I mean, I do have guests on, and obviously they have some expertise and they share, you know, their journeys, but it's not necessarily a case of we all know the answers. And particularly when it comes to things like marketing, everything's changing so quickly, you know, what with oh. social media and this works one week, but, you know, next week it might not work. Um, so, you know, not necessarily expecting any everyone to have the answers and it's it's just great to hear you know about your journey and what your challenges were 
and how you've overcome them and you're you know working to do that and you've really nailed something there when you said you've been very clear about who you want to work with because I think one of the easiest things to do is to go oh well I better appeal to everybody because you know I don't want to miss anybody out because I might lose business but that actually ends up being I think there's a, a marketing adage where it's if you market to everyone you actually end up marketing to no one um, so I think it's really great that you've zoned in on you know the, the exact type of clients that you you want to work with so thank you for for sharing that um absolutely so let's so you've talked a little about partnerships as well so you've got your team and you've got your your contractors and that's that's been really important so can you talk a little bit about how did you kind of find them like are they on board with your vision like how did you go about sort of finding that team well you know they're not they don't really care about the vegan thing my contractor is a green uh contractor and um he has a vegan daughter, so he gets it, and he doesn't care because he's not really involved anyway with what I furnish the place with. Um, he's not using any uh, materials that are going to have animal products in them anyway, so it doesn't really affect him. Um, the only person who's affected, I guess, is the guy who does my furniture, and he knows he doesn't use down in my pillows and things like that, so... It's not a difficult thing to get your team to um, be on board with it. They don't have to be vegan to to work with you. Exactly, exactly. Cool. Yeah. I suppose in a way you're kind of influencing them, and obviously your contractor's already got a vegan daughter, so he's probably being nicely influenced. But you know, it's another touch point for veganism. You know, now he's got a vegan designer. So now that's great. <laughs> Let's talk a little bit about the. We've touched on this a little bit, but just about the use of the word vegan in your marketing materials or in your branding. Um, just talk to us about how you choose to use the word or the prominence of it on your site. Like you say. You don't. You mentioned earlier you don't necessarily lead with it, but it's there on your website. You know you've got that you're a Peter approved vegan designer. So just talk to us about the the choice of how much or not to use the word vegan. What's funny? I actually had more of that in my my website, and I decided to cut it back a little bit because I didn't want to scare people away. I think there's a you know a lot of people who are not vegan. Um, will stay away from people who call themselves vegan because they don't want to be preached to. Right. Um, so I, I didn't want anything in there that was too preachy, and I try to uh, come at it from a um, environmental side. Even though for me, I it, it's totally um, a compassion choice. Um, but I, in my business, I try to lead with the environmental choice. That you know you can't really be green if you're using animal products, and so I come about it that way, and I don't uh, I don't bug people about it or anything like that. I don't push it on people. I just tell them that if they want a leather couch, they're just gonna have to buy it themselves. <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic. It reminds me of when I first went vegan 20 years ago and, you know, I, I was on an, an animal rights march and um, this woman, you know, told me about the dairy industry and I was so shocked. I remember I came home and my partner Tracy was there and I was like, because I do the shopping, like our food shopping, and I came back and I was like, right, I said, I'm vegan. Here's why. I said, if you want cheese, you'll have to buy it yourself. So <laughs> I can relate to <laughs> saying that to your clients. Now, that's good. And I think that's important to hear because it, it does depend on the type of business and there's no, you know, one answer that fits all. I just always like to ask people that question because you know for example like with food you know people are now kind of 
you know a bit more on board with like vegan food so they're you know happy to sort of maybe use the word a bit more but in different types of businesses it can it can be to your disadvantage and there are ways to kind of weave those vegan values in without like you say kind of necessarily whacking people over the head with it so I'm glad that you you've shared that that's great now you were the first as you mentioned first PETA approved vegan interior designer so why did you apply for for this kind of certification and what benefits has it brought you? Well, um, I actually had a client, and they were a skin and hair care uh, company, and I did all of their – they had a 50,000-square-foot facility. Um, and their main ingredient in all of their products is hemp. So that was where I first became aware of brand identity, and I designed everything around Ecofriend. They also had – I'm sorry if I'm, I'm kind of going off a little bit here, but they also – had a rock and roll magazine and they had a nonprofit organization called the Get Together Foundation. I, I guess I'm plugging them now. But, um, <laughs> so I wanted their design to incorporate all of that. So I made sure not to have any animal products in the designs. And this was before I was a vegan designer. Um, and I used hemp linens and hemp wallpapers and, um, I wanted a sense of community by hiring local artists and things like that. And when they told me that they were PETA-approved company, I thought, hey, that's a good idea. You know, I've done this great design. I'm going to become a vegan-approved designer. So I called them, and they're like, oh, we've never had an interior designer ask us before. We don't even know where, like, how to category categorize. <laughs> So I was like, oh, cool, I'm the first. <laughs> then, you know, like two years later, I, you know, I was talking to them and I was doing an event. I also do event planning um, for nonprofits that are animal rescue related. Um, so I was doing a bio and I called them again and I said, I just want to make sure, am I still the only <laughs> uh, pediatric vegan designer? And they said, oh, no, there's one more. <laughs> now there's one other. So that's the one I uh, contacted. So there's two of us now. Fantastic. <laughs> but yeah, so the reason was only I thought that it was a, a neat idea and my client had done it and I thought, oh yeah, I'll just I'll put that on my you know on my bio or whatever that I'm a Peter approved. I didn't know that I was the first person. Yeah, that's great. That's actually a really good marketing and promo tool because like whenever you're the first in anything, it's always you know it's just an angle it's a hook so uh, and I certainly I was certainly intrigued when I saw it on your your website you know you're the first Peter approved vegan design, uh, interior designer it is a nice selling point I know point, it makes so. seem like such a trailblazer but well, I you I'm are really... you totally are <laughs> own it <laughs> that's right absolutely now you touched on a little bit of marketing I know you said you're, you're still you know kind of working on that as we all are in the, the marketing world so but between you know you've run your business for a few years now so what have been some of the most successful uh, marketing strategies that you've used or that you use now in regards to your business? I, you know, for me, it's still word of mouth. I, I really, you know, I've tried different uh, marketing things. I've done, you know, Google AdWords. I've done um, emails. I've sent out like snail mail flyers. I've gone door to door into buildings, you know, uh, where they're doing construction and leaving my card. The only, the, the most work I get is from word of mouth. Nice. 
Nice. That's good to hear. Because I think sometimes, you know, we think, oh, online is everything. Uh, You know, it's like the way to market nowadays. But I think it's always good to to recognize that sometimes those, you know, what we might call, quote, old fashioned or traditional marketing techniques of word of mouth can sometimes be really important. And I guess particularly for a local business. Am I right, Maureen, in thinking, do you work predominantly like in the West Coast area or do you also work um, like across the U.S. or even internationally? I would. I would <laughs> work internationally, but I, I predominantly at this point work on the West Coast. On the West Coast. I had one client who had offices in New York, so I did his, their New York offices as well. But, and that's another thing with the tech industry is a lot of, most of them have multiple offices around the world. And that was sort of my idea in going in this direction was that, that I would have the opportunity to uh, do international offices but I, I haven't yet. Got it. Got it. Cool. Yeah. So for people who are listening and perhaps, you know, they're, they're curious, obviously, hopefully be very much inspired by you, particularly as you had that career change in your, in your forties. So perhaps they you know, they've got their day job and they would love to do not necessarily interior design, but maybe start up their own business, perhaps their own service based business. What advice would you give them in regards to what do they need to take into account before making that leap from nine to five day job to running their own business? I think they should have a clear strategy about what they're going to do, how they're going to do it, and be pretty focused. Um, I've made every mistake in the book, and one of which is just, you know, um, quitting my day job (laughs) and winging it. (laughs) Um, You know, um, I... I wasn't that I knew what I wanted to do, but I didn't exactly know how to do it. At the time, things were a little bit different. Um, Just as far as being an interior designer and I was just doing residential and it was pretty simple when I first started. Uh, But things have uh, are going at a very fast rate now with social media. And I think you have to really have a handle on um what you're going to do and how you're going to market yourself before you jump, maybe, you know, keep your day job and start building blocks a little bit before you split. Got it. Got it. And also learn business, take a business course. Yeah. Yeah. That's an important one. A lot of people say that who I interview, it's like, yeah, that just getting those a grounding in those business skills. And it, I think particularly for creatives, it can seem like, I don't know, even for me, like I'm not a numbers person. Like, you know, we hire a book, like my partner and I in our company, we've hired a bookkeeper. But initially when we first like moved from London to Sydney, you know, I was doing the books and it was just a nightmare because it's not my natural, um, you know, domain. But I'm kind of glad I did because it did give me a handle on how it worked. And then when I was able to hand it over to the bookkeeper, I at least had some kind of vague idea what, what was going on in the business. So I think it is important for, yeah, particularly creatives to embrace that side. I'm glad that you've you've mentioned that. So, um, what would be what would you say have been the key things you've learned from running your business? Um, what have I learned? Well, you know, working on your own, you have to be very disciplined. Um, you have to know, you know, in the big picture, where are you trying to go? What are you trying to do? What are you trying to achieve? And then work in from there. So, what do I need to do this week? Uh, what do I need to do this month? What do I need to do this week? What do I need to do today? And you have to have the the discipline to uh, do those things, to write your to-do list and, and do it. I think 
it's probably, if you're not a disciplined person, it's probably very difficult to work at home. Right. Yeah. And we were talking earlier, like before we came on air, because like, I work from home as well. And you're absolutely right. You know, you, there's so many distractions that you have to kind of go, OK, right, this is where I, this is, I'm working. This is what I'm doing. And um, yeah, to keep focused on that. So I can certainly relate to that. So fantastic. And I also break up. I'm sorry. I also break up my week so that um, um, I don't have too many days working at home in a row. <laughs> Because you can become a hermit. Very, uh, <laughs> you can, you know, it, it can be really hard to work two or three days um, in a row. So I'll do maybe two days and then I'll have a day where I'm running around doing errands or, or a day that I'm seeing clients. So I block out my week very strategically like that so I can break things up. Oh, that's smart. I think that helps. Yeah, 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 that's a smart move. So, final question then, Maureen, what's your what's your long term vision for yourself and your your business? Well, I would like to um, create my own products, um, furnishings, wall treatments, you know, wallpaper, um, textiles that are all vegan and green and ethically sourced. Um, we haven't talked that much about the ethically sourced thing. You know, I want to work with uh, companies that empower underserved communities, you know, rather than using sweatshops and, you know, trying to, it's really hard to control the supply chain. Uh, so I'd like to work directly with um, green companies that create fabrics and things like that, where you have a little more control over the supply chain. Got it, got it. So yeah, you touched on that ethically sourced. So is that something that you work with with your clients as much as you possibly can to ensure that ethically sourced products are used in the the projects? I do, um, but again, it's hard to know. It's hard to track the supply chain. There's there's so many hands in the pot. Um, some you know what I know I can do right now is vegan. And I can try to do green and I can avoid companies that I know use sweatshops. Um, but sometimes, you know, things are going to fall through the cracks. You, you just don't always know unless you have control. And that's why I'd like to start my own line at some point where I have a little more control over where things come from. Got it. That would be fabulous. Well, you let us know when that happens. We'll certainly give that a plug. So I hope that, yeah, for, for people listening, uh, particularly if you're in the L.A. area, um, you know, to get in contact with you if you if you're, you know, got a space and you're about to move into it. Do you do I just want to check. Yourself, so I know you do like the actual interior design. Do you do so? Say, for example, if people are I mean, maybe couldn't afford to hire you for the whole kind of thing but they wanted you in to say do a consult for example like to talk a little bit about how the space might look um, and then perhaps they might get their own people in to fit it out like do you do things like that like a consult sure I can do a consultation I can do color consultations um, I can do a design scheme where they can just take that and they'll have something to as a guide to do the work themselves yeah fantastic sure. awesome that's good to know that wonderful that's been great thank you very much for for sharing your expertise and your insights Maureen it's been really really great speaking with you I'm delighted to have the first Peter approved vegan designer on my show <laughs> Yay! <laughs> and thank uh, you Katrina thank you so much for having me I really appreciate it, it was fun so that was Maureen Mahone of Maureen Mahone Interiors. You can find out more at MaureenMahoneInteriors.com.
and that link is on the show notes page at veganbusinessmedia.com forward slash podcasts and going to episode 73. Now for our vegan business news roundup. Vegan Food Tours is extending its reach into London, England, reports plant-based news. The company offers tours of cities, including Barcelona in Spain, where it's based, as well as Amsterdam and now London. The trip includes visits to several vegan eateries in each city, where visitors sample tapas-sized portions of several dishes at each one, along with sightseeing in between with a tour guide. The London tour takes place in Soho, in the heart of the city's West End. Starting at Tottenham Court Road, visitors get to experience the delicious buffet at Vital on Oxford Street, junk food favourites at Vegan Hippo, organic delights at Wild Food Cafe in Neil's Yard Covent Garden, and delicious vegan desserts and ice cream at Yorica. I'm loving this vegan take on traditional food tours, and what a great idea for a business, providing a valuable and fun service to visitors who are new to a city. UK supermarkets are seeing a rise in the sales of vegan products, with Tesco seeing a 40% increase in demand for the vegetarian and vegan ready meals and snacks in the past year. That's 2016 to 17 if you're listening in the future. Prompting it to introduce new labelling to highlight its vegan products, reports The Guardian. This comes hot on the heels of rival store Asda becoming the first UK supermarket to use the Vegan Society trademark on its products, starting with vegan vodka, and Sainsbury's teaming up with Boot Island Foods to create its own brand of vegan cheese. According to global research firm Mintel, this demand is being fuelled by the trend of so-called clean eating. Tesco has teamed up with tech company Spoon Guru to help vegetarians and vegans find suitable foods on its website. The supermarket's development director, Kate Ewart, said it was developing new products for customers to impress their vegetarian and vegan guests at parties and barbecues. I'm so happy to hear this. I remember doing our weekly shop in Sainsbury's in Camden Town 20 years ago in the mid-90s when I first went vegan and having to spend ages checking the ingredients of packaged products to try and work out whether they were vegan or not. So it's great to see supermarkets making it easy for people to make an ethical choice. Beyond Meat continues to go from strength to strength, with its vegan burger set to hit the shelves in 280 Safeway supermarkets in California, Hawaii and Nevada, reports Bloomberg. The US company, whose investors include Microsoft's Bill Gates, as well as meat company Tyson Foods, aims to get average Americans off meat and onto plant-based burgers by making their products as realistic and accessible to the mainstream as animal-based burgers. So far, the Beyond Burger has only been available at specialist grocer Whole Foods locations and a number of small restaurants. Now they'll sit alongside animal-based burgers in the meat case at Safeway. The company's CEO, Ethan Brown, said getting into a conventional grocery chain marks a turning point for Beyond Meat. He said, It's a really important step in terms of reframing how we think about meat. We assume that an animal has to be used for meat, and that's just false. 
Amen to that. (laughs) It's so important to make these plant-based products available and accessible to mainstream customers because I think that's really how we're going to achieve tipping point and a major shift in people's eating habits. Finally, the vegan leather industry is set to be worth $85 billion by 2025, reports Veg News. The prediction was made by consulting firm Grandview Research, which showed that the demand for animal-free leather will be driven by countries including China, India, Brazil, Malaysia, Thailand and Vietnam because of a rising interest in affordable footwear. Grandview Research says polyurethane is the fastest growing material in the sector because of its durability, the fact it costs less to produce and its water-resistant qualities. The report notes, as textile technology is evolving, consumers are preferring vegan fashion, which refers to adopting non-leather products. I think this is worthy of another amen. (laughs) It's fantastic to see developments like this in sectors outside food. Now, when I posted this story on LinkedIn earlier this week, someone commented that polyurethane isn't particularly eco-friendly. From what I can gather, some PE is more sustainable than others, but ultimately, when you take into account the harmful effects of the animal-based leather industry, including the poisoning of rivers with toxic chemicals required for tanning, along with the horrendous cruelty, polyurethane is still a better option. Fortunately, we're seeing some exciting developments in futuristic biotech materials that are durable, stylish, cruelty-free and environmentally friendly. So this is another sector where change is happening on a grand scale. Love it. So that's it for this episode of Vegan Business Talk. Thank you so much for tuning in. If you enjoyed the show, I'd really appreciate it if you gave it a review and rating on iTunes or any other platform you're listening on. Finally, I encourage you to head over to veganbusinessmedia.com where you can find more resources, including details of my media and PR consultations, copywriting, editing and proofreading services to help you grow your vegan business. I'm Katrina Fox, author of Vegan Ventures, Start and Grow an Ethical Business, and I look forward to catching up with you in the next episode of Vegan Business Talk. Bye for now. 